welcome to the life and times of Captain Barney Miller. I am your host, Mike White. Joining me, as always, is Lieutenant Commander Chris Stashew. I am still here, much to the chagrin of some of you, I'm sure. You need to come up with a better line. Well, come it's on. It's kind of the truth. Oh, I got another one. I got another one. Don't forget, I'm still here. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. That's a little jump to the end of the arsonist for everyone who's been listening along with us. We are talking about three episodes, as we normally do. The first one is Ambush, which aired October 2nd, 1975. Heat Wave, which aired in the balmy month of October. Yeah, sure. Right. October 9th, 1975. And The Arsonist, which aired October 16th, 1975. These are some interesting episodes. Um, no Nick throughout these. I find it interesting that last uh, month when we recorded, I was saying how sick Jack Sue looked, and he's not here for any of these. He ends up taking a bullet to the butt in ambush, and we never even see him take the call. Yeah. Definitely felt like he was written off for a while. What it reminded me of is a terrible comparison, but a show like How I Met Your Mother, they were like, and then she's gone for like half the season. And it's like, we know she's pregnant. Like, you can't hide it that well. And clearly, Jack Sue looked rather sickly in those first couple episodes. So glad to see him gone if it was for something serious. I mean, again, we obviously know that he will be passing away during the run of the show. So are you saying that Jack Sue was pregnant? <laughs> no, I'm no. Yeah, like I said, terrible, terrible comparison. I'm aware. Yeah, they used to put uh, Sybil Shepherd behind a couch when she was pregnant on Moonlighting. It's like, yeah, that couch doesn't really hide it. This one features much more Ron Harris and Chano, so that's good. I'm I'm glad for that. We also have the return of Detective Kelly, the Dick O'Neill character, who is so close to Lieutenant Luger, but not quite there. He's he's equally racist, but not necessarily just against Polish people. He's he's an equal opportunity offender. Unwelcome. Uh, returns, as it were. The issue with some of these characters is they don't work well with the other characters because they're such a bunch of racists. And it's like all of these guys in the 12th are all different, and that's what makes it great. And then you get these assholes that come in and go, whoa, whoa look, at, look at this fucking weird bunch of, you know, uh, United Nations in here. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, I mean, it's just like, to me, it's like, why are you pointing something out that this is the show's strength? Just to point out the fact that your character is poorly written? Some of these episodes feel like they're retreading from last season's episodes. Like, this one reminds me a lot because the the B story in here is Barney being offered a job in Florida. And didn't we already go through this panic, like, in the second or third episode? Yeah, that's what I thought. But maybe I'm mistaken. There were just certain things where I was like, this feels like I already saw Well, this. and that's why this episode is ultimately forgettable for me, because it's like, the Yamana stuff, uh, it's, ah, I mean, okay, so there's some people that are, you know, acting out to get cops, which is like barely touched upon, and Barney is supposedly going away, which is barely touched upon, and yet we're supposed to care about all of it. It just felt like it was spinning its wheels, I guess. The only part of it that I found enjoyable was seeing David Doyle, who most people know as Bosley from Charlie's Angels. I love him. I love his crazy voice that he has. And I love that he's playing this 
right-wing nutcase who just feels like they came right from a anti-Black Lives Matter movement protest. Whoa, you know? don't bring up politics on this podcast or we're liable to get canceled. Just like my podcast, just like your podcast, pal. Uh, but yeah, no, and then when he's given the opportunity to do something, he uh, cowers in the corner like a coward. So, shocking! Come on, bring your rifle. Let's let's go uh, get this cop killer, this person that wants to kill cops. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, he's a great character because it's oddly smacks of contemporary issues. But again, this episode is just very weird because it just feels it feels like something we've already seen because it pretty much is. Now, was this the one where Ron Glass is typing and it ends up being like, because I mentioned this joke like two or three episodes ago where he's pretending or he, he seems to think that he can type a different conversation than he's speaking. And then Wojo looks at it. It was Wojo. I thought it was Dietrich, but Wojo looks at it and he's, and he's reading the exact same conversation that they had. I can't remember if this is this one or the next one. I thought for sure I'd be able to keep three episodes of this sitcom separated in my mind, but watching them back to back to back and then sitting down and talking about this, there are a lot of details where I'm like, was that in this one or was that in the other one? Well, I can tell you with absolute certainty that this episode is so unforgettable that it makes the other two extremely memorable and the second one for very terrible reasons. Oh, yeah. I guess we have to go there. It it reminds me a lot of that episode from the first season. (laughs) We've got the return of Linda Lavin as uh, Detective Janice Wentworth. I did not remember that she was going to come back, so I was very happy to see her. I didn't remember either. I recognized her, but I didn't think that the show was going to bring her back as the same character. We have the same gag that we had from, I think, one of the very first episodes when it wasn't even any of the guys that we normally see. It was like the other guy who was mentioned once or twice and he was shown in the first episode like the first proper episode and he was basically the second black detective who eventually just falls off the face of the earth we never see him again he's all dressed up in women's clothing and catching perverts in the park this whole episode has that going on through the entire thing of the different guys in the unit dressing up as women and going out and catching perverts in the park. Oh, that wasn't the issue with the episode that I had. Oh, no, no, no. That's not an issue at okay. all. I'm, Just making sure. <laughs> I'm very hesitant to even get into what the issue is because... Domestic abuse is hilarious! It's funny to hit your wife. Let's get that laugh track going. <laughs> oh, my Ba-dum-bum, God. Ba-dum-bum. Hey, you know what they say? What's the problem with a woman with one black eye? If she doesn't listen the second time, give her another one. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, this is the lowest of lowbrow humor in a show that rarely resorts to the lowest of lowbrow, bordering on, if not completely offensive. This should have been a very special episode. Like, they should have cut the laughter as soon as this woman comes in and says, I want to report my husband for beating me. Yeah, but the problem is, even if they take the laugh track out, you still have a character like Fish playing it off because he clearly is beating his own wife. I mean, that's, that's the joke, right? Like I beat my wife too. Like what? Yeah. And if he doesn't, he wants to, it was horrible. It was horrific having this as a, and I hate to say the word punchline in this episode, this whole idea of domestic abuse. Oh man, it was rough to watch. It was really rough. Yeah, I mean, I am surprised that fish didn't bring out the, 
what do you call a woman with two black eyes, a slow learner? Like, I mean, that joke is pretty close to what this episode traffics in. And that joke's not funny. But, like, that's kind of the sphere that this episode is existing inside. Is that, like, making... And look, I mean, look, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. And, you know, you've known me for a very long time, six years at this point. My humor is or could be seen by some as offensive. But I am not an offensive person. I'm not a racist, any of that shit. But I know that my kind of humor pushes the line, as does yours from time to time. But you can make a joke about it, but this isn't how you go about doing it at all. It actually is so poorly done as a joke that not only is it not funny, it also hurts the characters in the show. That's the biggest problem here, right? I mean, is that it essentially makes characters that you think are upstanding cops look like piece of shit cops. Absolute trash. And I was thinking, okay, great. You've got Detective Wentworth here. Maybe she and this woman, Mrs. Boyle, can have a real heart-to-heart conversation. There can be a moment of sincerity in this episode. But no, none of that goes on. It's laugh after laugh after laugh. And I'm sitting on the couch just mortified watching this going, guys, this isn't funny stuff. You really need to stop. Well, and then it gets even better when you have Wentworth, you know, sexying herself up. And like in other in other episodes, it might be funny, might be in this episode. It just further reinforces how few women were clearly in the writer's room, because even in 75, you and I both know any female writer would say, "Uh, uh-uh, this shit's not going to fly. Even in 75, a female writer would have known that. And you would have thought that their male compatriots, their male screenwriters would have known that. And I'm not, I mean, we, I mean, look, we're going to ultimately, you know, not suggest anyone watch this episode for a number of reasons. But, you know, unfortunately, this does fall into a, it was a different time. Because it's not like this was 2015, this was 75. People overlooked it, just like the episode with the uh, the trans character. I guess not trans, but I, I guess trans, a cross-dressing character. However, they angled it, I forget, because I tried to blot that shit out of my mind completely. But it's reminiscent of that episode, where it's like, this show should not be tackling something like this, because it's not funny, and it doesn't work. My jaw was on the floor through, I'd say, 70% of this episode. The only thing that I liked in this episode was seeing Harold Oblong, who is one of uh, Beef's backup band or a member of the Juicy Fruits or the uh, oh, what's the uh, uh, the, the carburetors group oh, that he's I in. I thought that was the Juicy Fruits. I think that's still just called the Juicy Fruits, isn't it? Didn't the Juicy Fruits, do they change their name when they become a surf band, or do they just remain the Juicy Fruits? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, what we're talking about, by the way, is Phantom of the Paradise, for those of you that don't know. Mike's just talking about things with zero context. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I honestly wish it was, Ar- wish it was Archie Han, but, you know, that kind of goes without saying. We might get him later on. I, Who knows? I wouldn't put it past him, but hopefully not this episode. I, and Wentworth comes back again, by the way. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. (laughs) So hopefully her next three appearances aren't on these nightmares. So no Jack Sue in this one. No uh, Barbara Berry. Yeah, we do get Harold Oblong. We do get Linda Lavin. Uh, There's still no Mike. I don't know what happened to Mike. Mike, I hate to break it to you, but Mike's not coming back. Did Mike go up to a farm somewhere in upstate New York? <laughs> I have York? to go now. My planet needs me. And Mike just levitates like Poochie out of the fucking scene. 
I will never understand that character introduction for as long as I live, but boy, we'll keep bringing it up because it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then it's interesting, the last episode is called The Arsonist, but The Arsonist's story is the least bit of story. The biggest story for me is the guy who shoots a vending machine because it won't give him his uh, Butterfinger. Well, and you know, the other thing is the arsonist doesn't show up until the last nine minutes of the episode. Some great, great character actors for all of these, for both the uh, guy that shoots the vending machine, his brother who's a lawyer, and then also when the arsonist shows up. These faces are faces that you just see these and you go, oh yeah, I've seen this guy like a thousand times. Yeah, it's Mr. Beauregard from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. As soon as he shows up, I'm just like, oh, you're turning violet, violet. <laughs> yeah, when I saw him, I was like, where have I seen? Oh, yeah, Willy Wonka. And the guy who plays his brother was the original Colonel Henry Blake in MASH, who was in just a, a ton of stuff. And then the arsonist character... I've seen him in so many things. I think the thing that people would recognize him most from is Westworld, where he plays a technician. Not the new shitty Westworld, but the original 73 Westworld. Are you a big fan of Westworld? I am. I'm amazed that you can make it through it. I can. I am I mean, if I can make it through Heatwave, I can make it through Westworld. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to defend Westworld on this podcast. It will take way too long. <laughs> but yeah, I did recognize him. From he was the in the original movie. Westworld. yeah. yeah, yeah. The original movie's great. I mean, duh. The original movie's amazing. I mean, it's not, it hasn't aged particularly well, but it's still very good. You don't get to see Richard Benjamin in too many action roles. But it is weird that this episode's called The Arsonist. I mean, because the ambush, you start with an ambush, you're ending with getting the guy who's ambushing these people. The heat wave, it's all the way through the episode. With this arsonist character, it's like, okay, I, I guess it, might tie into some other stuff. There's a store owner, Mr. Cotterman, in here, but it really doesn't play into his store. But yeah, it was just, it was strange. Yeah, I was really kind of taken aback by this episode. I mean, it wasn't bad. They're just, some of the issues with some of these episodes are there isn't much going on. And look, I have no problem with the show really standing on the legs of Abe Vigoda, Hal Linden, Gregory Sierra. I had no problem with them and the episodes really like standing as a, you know, situational comedy with them as an ensemble cast. The issue is you, you can't get by on that. And they're, it seems like already they're trying to, and maybe I'm wrong, but I want more. Like I want more. And there are some funny bits in this episode. Don't get me wrong. When Ron Glass is like, anybody got a light? And the guy pulls the lighter out. And then the bit at the end that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode is also fantastic, which is pretty much an interaction between you and I on a daily basis. <laughs> I mean, he kind of is. What do you want to do? I don't know. Uh, okay, bye. I mean, like, it's, I mean you know, it, that, that there are some bits in this episode that are good, but at least it's not Heat Wave. You know, I forgot to mention in Heat Wave that we actually have another black detective, that we have the black female detective who's out there. That's right. With them um trying to get the muggers and i want to say that's uh gloria Kalomi uh, as detective bailey and i'm not sure if she ever shows back up but it was really nice to see a woman of color as a detective in the one two and then on top of everything else one of the characters thinks that she's a man i mean i'm not gonna let it go <laughs> it's that's what the show did that's the show's fault it's not my fault 
that episode with the cross-dresser trans character from the first season again i i'm not i don't just, just genuinely don't remember what they what they were going for with that episode that was the worst episode of the first season i think we found the worst episode of the second season possibly from what imdb's reviews claim the worst episode of the show so we're getting it out of the way early okay well that's good that's good because yeah, I was kind of dreading like another 170 some of these if uh, if the, if it was going to keep going like this. Hey, a good woman is a woman <laughs> with her mouth shut, right? <laughs> like, oh, Whoa. please stop. Take my wife, please. <laughs> yeah, right. I take my wife everywhere. She wanted to go for a vacation. Said, take me someplace I've never been. I took her to the kitchen. <laughs> take my wife, please. Take my wife. That comedy had a time and place. It ain't 2020. There are some edgy comics out there that are going to do some bits about uh, domestic violence, but uh, I'm not usually too uh, laughing about those things. Look who's laughing now. No one was But, you know, I'm just a libtard snowflake, so I guess my feelings get easily hurt. You are both of those things, according to the internet, so it's fine. So, yeah, three episodes I wouldn't necessarily recommend this I would not recommend the second one or the first one, but the third one, you know, has some bits, but... They're not as strong as the last three we watched, that's for sure. No, they really started off the second season with some great episodes. And yeah, we've we've stalled here in October of 1975. We need something to, to bring us back just in time for Thanksgiving. Exactly. So, Chris, what is happening with you over at the Culture Cast? We are in the throes of Horror-tober down under. So we're talking Australian horror movies. Whoa. Yeah. Australia's making a comeback in 2020 big time. We did uh, Ozploitation in 2019, and now we're doing Ozploitation horror films, or just Aussie horror films, um, which are all from the great country of New Zealand, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone. I hope someone's angry. <laughs> My wife keeps watching a creature feature called Rogue, which is about a uh, killer crocodile, kind of like a crawl, but uh, set in the Australian outback. And it features so many actors where you just look at them and go, I've seen you before, but I've never seen you with an Australian accent. Oh, so they're not Australian. No, they are Australian. They play Americans most of the time. So here's the guy from Alias. Here's the woman from Pitch Black. So it was interesting to see some of these actors in here. And there are a few other actors. Oh, even uh, the uh, uh, the void of charisma, Sam Worthington, was in that movie. He's Australian. Just like Jai Courtney. So this is a recent film. Yeah, probably 2015, at least. Back when domestic violence was still <laughs> Yeah, funny. I was about to say, back in the olden days of 2015. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's what we're talking about, is uh, Aussie horror films. So we're actually going to be joined by an Aussie or two. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, if you're into horror movies, obviously October is, you know, horror time definitely come on over and uh, check that out. You can also check me out on the Scary Stories We Tell podcast, where we talk about true crime, unexplained, and the paranormal. And uh, an interview with uh, you is coming out very soon on that episode, that on that podcast. So where we talk about some urbane legends and urban legends. Keith Urban Legends? <laughs> yeah, Keith Urban Legends. He's, he's Australian, he too. He sure as shit is, unfortunately. He had to come up in a conversation at some point, and it was this one. So, yep. Uh, what about you, Mike? What are you up to over at the Projection Booth, the Internet's favorite movie podcast? Over at the Projection Booth, it is not Horror Tober, it is Shocktober. Oh. oh my god. 
And I've got a whole bunch of bonus episodes lined up, plus regular episodes. We're talking about The Antenna, which is a Turkish horror film, Poltergeist, Nightbreed, Company of Wolves. We'll even even be talking about Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Inc., Motel Hell. Going to do a couple of Cronenbergs. I'm uh, doing a uh, cross-pollination thing with the Wake Up Heavy podcast, so you can hear those a little earlier than you can on the projection booth. And Chris, you will be on there speaking about uh, The Frighteners. Sure am. I am a little disappointed that you're doing a Nightbreed podcast and you didn't ask me, because I fucking love that movie. That is such a weird movie. <laughs> and it's got Cronenberg in it. Get ready for a lot of disappointment as I work on the 2021 schedule. Oh, I'm never disappointed. I got to be on Makunaima, so it's fine. Thank you so much to John Walker for our theme music. Thank you to everybody for listening. Please head over to iTunes and rate and review the show. Uh, you spell statues, S-T-A-C-H-I-E-W-X-Y. <laughs> or you could just spell it asshole. That works, too. Or just a-hole, so it doesn't get censored. Apple's very particular about those kinds of things. <laughs>